as human beings, even neurobiologically, we are not wired to do these things alone. We're not wired to go through this life all by ourselves and to kind of um, just navigate all our issues in isolation. You're listening to the Wisdom for Wellbeing podcast, the show that blends science and heart to bring you evidence-based tips and tricks for cultivating a healthy, wealthy, and meaningful life. Now, here's your host, therapist, yogi, and fellow full-life balancer, Dr. Caitlin Harkis. Hi there. Welcome back to Wisdom for Wellbeing. I am delighted to be joined by Alyssa Mankow today. Now, Alyssa is a licensed clinical social worker, therapist, writer, and a group practice owner based in Sherman Oaks, California. Alyssa received her BA in sociology from Cal Paul Pominar and her master's from social work from USC. Alyssa has been a therapist for a decade working in community mental health, juvenile residential treatment, and in private practice. Her experience as a therapist includes advocacy and treating clients who experience depression, anxiety, and trauma. Alyssa's work also encompasses assisting clients with connecting with their inner child. She works to help clients make connections from the past to the present, while also using various coping techniques to improve their symptoms in interpersonal relationships. And in fact, relationships is really the focus today. How do we cultivate healthful relationships? Alyssa's approach utilizes a mix between psychodynamic modalities, cognitive behavior therapy, and EMDR. That's eye movement, desensitization, retraining, depending on each person's needs. And it's worth knowing that in addition to her work as a therapist, she also contributes to various magazine articles addressing self-esteem, coping, and emotional independence. And in fact, her writing is very prolific on Instagram. So if you check out Alyssa Maria Wellness on Instagram, you'll see that she puts a number of resources up there to support people in cultivating emotional health and well-being, in cultivating a healthy and healing relationship with their inner child, and of course, relationships generally. So without further ado, I would like to introduce Alyssa now. Welcome to the Wisdom for Wellbeing podcast. I am delighted to be here with you today and to get to have this conversation. So thank you for making the time and the space. You're welcome. I'm really glad to be here with you today. And I'm just, I'm glad for the conversation we're going to have. So Alyssa, would you mind just quickly sort of introducing yourself and sharing, you know, about the amazing work you're doing so listeners have a bit of context as we go into our conversation today? Sure. So my name is Alyssa Mankow. I'm a licensed clinical social worker, a mental health therapist, and a group practice owner located in Sherman Oaks, California. I specialize in treating anxiety, depression, trauma, and helping clients connect with their inner child. Wonderful. And and you're also, you know, on social media. So would you mind just sharing a little bit about your Instagram page as well? Because I think that's going to be a really important resource as we kind of move through the conversation today. Yes. I'm active on Instagram at Alyssa Marie Wellness. And my Instagram has a lot of free content on strategies for managing anxiety, depression, trauma. And also there are a lot of reflection questions on there to help you with self-exploration. Beautiful. So you guys definitely check her out there. And, and Alyssa, one of the things that you talk about a lot is human connection. And that that's something that, you know, is common to all of us as, as human beings. Why is it so important? 
because just as human beings, even neurobiologically, we are not wired to do these things alone. We're not wired to go through this life all by ourselves and to kind of um, just navigate all our issues in isolation. In fact, I, isolation is a lot of what causes anxiety and depression and things like that. So I think it's just really important to note, especially in communities and countries that promote individualism um, and, and competition and things like that. What's actually really healing is connecting in community. That's a really interesting point. And, and when you mention these cultures, these communities that provoke um, sort of promote more of an individualistic sort of lifestyle, if I can frame it that way, it, it's really important to be aware of creating community. And, you know, you're based in America, I'm based in Australia. I imagine a lot of listeners are based in countries that have similar mentalities around this individualistic framework and, and lifestyle. So how how do we kind of connect? Like what what gets in the way and how do we how do we forge forward? You know, I think what gets in the way for people connecting, um, it's, it's that individualistic mentality. It's that maybe idea that other people can't be trusted or that maybe you're in competition with other people or that, you know, it, it could even be childhood experiences, not necessarily with your parents, but it could have been elementary school, high school, where maybe other people haven't felt safe to you. So then, so for many, they find safety within just being by themselves and keeping people at a distance. Um, but really what that does long-term, it can be a lot more harmful than it is helpful. So it's just really important in recognizing what your patterns are, what your beliefs are about human connection or your beliefs are about doing things alone and really kind of challenging those, challenging those beliefs. And, uh, you know, one way we can connect is learning how to ask for help when we need it. Yeah, so learning to ask for help and and noticing when we have these patterns that maybe aren't so helpful with regards to to asking for help, where where would we go? Would we be checking in with community, family, friends, therapists, or how do we kind of seek help when we maybe notice, okay, some of my patterns maybe aren't so helpful? Maybe, you know, for people who aren't used to who want that human connection and don't know where to begin, um, you could actually start off by getting a piece of paper out and writing who are the people who feel safest to you. You know, you can name an aunt, uncle, a family member, a teacher, a coach, a friend, a cousin, just, um, just anybody that you feel really safe to. And you can even just go down the list and you can pick somebody where you can start practicing asking, hey, can we talk? Or hey, um, you know, you can start with checking in with them too right? Because that's always very healthy to hear how somebody else is doing. And then just being able to practice saying, you know, I'm not feeling so good. Do you have some time to talk today? But it's really being able to practice that vulnerability. There, there's a lot of vulnerability that goes into human connection. That's an interesting point. So talk me through vulnerability, because this is something I know a lot of us will probably go, oh, that thing, I don't do that. So what is vulnerability and why, why is it so powerful? Vulnerability is, you know, the way I'm going to describe it, it's, it's, it's really the ability to allow somebody else to see the different parts of you. Maybe it, it could be the parts of you that you keep tucked away, the parts of you that you keep hidden, or the parts of you that you just only share with one or two people, right? It's, um, it's the opposite of us having walls and being guarded. It's, it's the act of putting our walls down and letting somebody see all of us. 
And, um, you know, that, that, that's really healthy because when we can be vulnerable with people, we can learn how to be our authentic selves. And there's so much healing that happens when we can be vulnerable with people and, and they're safe and when they're safe. Okay. So there's this, this pairing, we need someone to be safe and in that safe relationship, be able to be vulnerable, to express these different parts of ourselves. And, and in, in terms of different parts of ourselves, some of us have perhaps sides that we aren't particularly um, appreciative of, or we maybe, you know, don't like about ourselves, but it sounds like you're kind of saying, well, we need to kind of look at this, this whole and, and let ourselves all kind of shine through and, and connect through. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and part of being vulnerable too is, you know, those parts of ourselves that we don't like, we want to be able to honor them just as much as we do the parts of ourselves that we do like, because it's all valid. It's all there for a reason. And, and they all compose who we are. In relationship, you know, a lot of us might have, you know, these sides of ourselves that we aren't particularly comfortable with that seem to come up or that we try and repress and then engage in behavior in relationship that's probably not super effective in terms of maintaining those relationships or creating a sense of stability for ourselves, would you just be able to speak to the different patterns that, that might be emerging for different people? So we can kind of see, you know, some of us maybe are a bit more like we put up walls or shields or barriers Mm -hmm. in relationships where some of us might cling really, really tightly to the relationship in a way that, that someone else might, um, might, might find a little bit overwhelming at times. I, I, I do think it's important that regardless of how another person relates or connect, everything that we do as human beings are all efforts and mechanisms to protect ourselves. Okay. To protect ourselves. Yeah. So even though those are very two opposite ways to attach and connect, right? One is avoidance and then one is like an overdependence on another. Both are mechanisms to prevent yourself from getting hurt. Yes. So even though they look so different, they're both ways of kind of taking care of of these parts of us that feel really vulnerable. Hey guys, we have been talking about how early childhood experiences might then impact our sense of safety with other people. And also we're then talking about how some of us might be more prone to putting up a bit of a shield to keep ourselves safe in relationships. And some of us might be more prone to, you know, really holding tight, almost like clinging to relationships in a way that might come across at some points, you know, to some people as a bit invasive. So I wanted to talk through what this means in terms of something called attachment theory, because I think that fits really, really well with the model and the description of relationships that Alyssa is offering us here today. So attachment theory was developed by a gentleman named John Bowlby, and what he found or what he had suggested in his observation of young children is that children seem to sense if their caregiver is near, is attentive, is responsive, and if they are, they tend to then feel secure, confident in that relationship, and they can engage more playfully, they seem more sociable, and they can ultimately go out kind of and explore their surroundings and then come back, check in with their caregiver again, and repeat this cycle, this circle, as many times as is sort of optimal for the surroundings, the conditions. However, if the caregiver doesn't seem to be responsive or attentive, 
the child, the baby, starts to experience a sense of distress and anxiety is expressed. So what this means is that the child is more likely to cling to their caregiver, to really protest, or to disconnect and maybe avoid their caregiver or focus more on something else in the environment. And this specifically was demonstrated by a woman named Mary Ainsworth. She actually began studying um, studying young children, babies, about 12 months, in something called the strange situation. So what would happen is the attachment figure, the parent, would go into a room that had a bunch of toys with the child, and then they would leave the room. Now, when they left the room, often the children would become upset. And when the parent then returns to the room, the young child, the baby, seeks their parent and is easily comforted by them. So this is what we would consider a secure attachment pattern. The child is comforted by their parent. They seek them out when they had had a gap in that connection. So they felt connected and felt that they could be soothed by their parent essentially and this is most kids about 60 percent about 20 percent so a smaller amount are really really distressed when the parent leaves the room so they appear extremely distressed and when the parent then comes back these babies have a much more difficult time being comforted and soothed by their parents they seem almost to display a bit of conflicting behavior. They display that they want to be comforted and might very much cling to their parent for an extended period, but they might also be the sense that they're turning away from or are unable to be consoled by the parent. Whereas other children seem to be okay when their parent leaves the room. They might you know, seem a little bit unsettled, but when the parent comes back, they are actually almost avoiding seeking contact with their parent and gazing off into the distance or focusing more on an object or toy that's around and really almost putting up this wall between themselves and their parent. So this is more of that shield-like behavior that we refer to in this episode, and this is more of what we would call an avoidant style of attachment. So the children who really cling to their parents and who seem to have this real difficulty being soothed by their parents when their parents return but want to be soothed by them we tend to call that an anxious style of attachment versus the avoidance style is when there's more of a sense of the child really moving away from their parent now they've done further research in this area over the years and you know even looked at it in older kids as well as in adults and we're talking you know generally about adults here in this episode today what is most interesting, I think, is, you know, with, let's say, adolescents, those adolescents that seem to have that avoidant attachment style where, you know, their parent might return and be available to them, they seem, you know, cool, collected, they're off doing their own thing. And it might seem like they just don't really care that their parent is back and that's not actually something that is bothering them or has triggered them. 
However, physiologically, they have the same response as someone who does have that anxious attachment style. And also, you know, someone who has a secure attachment style when their caregiver, when their parent might have left. So their heart rate will go up. They'll be a bit more sweaty, clammy on their skin. It's just that the people who present as avoidant have this incredible capacity to put up that shield. And when we start to then look at adults, the way this plays out is that people who have this avoidant attachment style might really quickly suppress their emotions. So disconnect from their emotions, which gives the appearance of not being impacted by separation from one's partner, even though there might be these moments that we actually catch a glimpse of the discomfort that comes with that. So in adults, this has been looked at, for instance, I know we're in in the time of COVID, so none of us are really heading off to the airport for any long haul flights. But in adults who are at an airport situation, when someone is going away, we can actually see different behaviors in terms of whether we might be securely attached, anxiously attached, or have an avoidance pattern in our attachment because that will often demonstrate how we respond in these airport settings where someone is, is going away for a period of time. It's been really interesting because a researcher named Brennan has actually conceptualized this dimensionality framework in terms of avoidance. So I'd like you to just picture a graph and on the X axis, so this would be the horizontal plane, you might picture on the left hand side that this is a state of really low anxiety. And on the right hand side, this is a state of really high anxiety. So we would all sit somewhere in that dimensionality of being of experiencing low anxiety in relationship or high anxiety in relationship. And this can change relationship to relationship and at various time points in our life. Then on the y-axis, imagine at the top, that would be low avoidance. So low avoidance of leaning in, connecting with our partner, with the person we are in relationship with. And on the lower point on the bottom, high avoidance. So again, we all sit on this spectrum vertically. So higher avoidance being at the bottom, moving away from relationship and low avoidance being at the top, leaning into relationship. So we can pinpoint then where each of us might sit, a secure attachment style would be someone who is low in their anxiety of the relationship and low in their avoidance. Whereas someone who has low avoidance but high anxiety might be considered to be more anxious in their attachment style. Then on the bottom portion of this graph, where there's high avoidance, if there's low anxiety, that person would be the person that it almost, they can very quickly cognitively jump in and disconnect from any difficulty that they are having in the relationship. So they essentially disconnect from their feelings. They have this real shield up. People who still experience high anxiety and high avoidance have more difficulty in inhibiting and disconnecting from their emotional response because actually, you know, the the physiological data would suggest that individuals 
will experience some anxiety perhaps in these situations. So it's interesting that this is an area that is evolving. They're trying to figure out the little nuances to how all of these patterns connect and relate. And for a long time, it was supposed that our attachment style in childhood, you know, with our primary caregiver, would then predict our attachment style in our romantic relationships, in our primary relationships in adulthood. But more and more, they're finding that's not actually the case, that there might be a small to moderate correlation at best, but that other things that happen in our lives and specifically other relationships will then impact our capacity to securely attach as as we grow and as we move into adulthood and that this can be different in different relationships in our lives and I think that this conversation is really really important because what you will kind of get a sense of is that it's important to notice the people in our lives that we feel really secure with that we feel really safe with and then it's also important if we don't necessarily have those people in our life that we reach out and and if that is, you know, as, as Alyssa will highlight, a therapist or someone else who is a professional in creating a therapeutic relationship, that that's totally fine and that's really healing. A gentleman named Carl Rogers who really started to, to formulate something called client-centered therapy highlights beautifully that we heal from relationship wounds in relationship. And it's not just our relationship with our primary caregivers, you know, bullying early in life or difficult interactions with other significant figures, be it teachers or other figures of authority in our lives can really impact us and our sense of self and our sense of safety and relationship. And that having really connected, supportive relationships at different times in our lives can be healing while having a relationship that is less safe, less secure can actually then impact how we approach our next relationship, which makes sense. It's, it's all connected and it's something that we can move through, learn from, and ultimately cultivate the skills for a secure attachment and cultivate a relationship where we feel safe and secure. I hope that is a little bit of a helpful framework. So let's get back into hearing from Melissa's wonderful wisdom today. They, they both serve very similar purposes and that's to protect us. Yeah. That's to protect us from being let down, disappointment, um, things like that. And, um, you know, in order for us to get to know these parts of ourselves, we have to start to pay attention to these patterns. So that would be again, where we start to, I guess, just reflect daily and maybe make little notes or check in with those safe people about patterns they might notice. Are there any other tips Ooh, that I you have? Like that. <laughs> I that like work? that actually. Yeah. Well, when, when you have safe people in your life, and people that you trust and people who know you and people who genuinely care about you, it really doesn't hurt to ask for feedback. You know, what do you guys see? What do you guys see that maybe I'm missing? And you don't have to take their feedback as truth. You don't have to take it as like the ultimate end all be all of who you are, but you can take it as information and you can start to integrate it into your own belief system about yourself. If, if, um, if you feel comfortable doing that, but I, but asking for feedback is definitely a good way to go about it. Okay. Okay. So listeners who maybe are kind of perking up and going, oh, okay. Like some of this is sounding familiar. How 
how do we then, you know, kind of take into consideration, you know, that we're going through this pandemic, that there is obviously a change in the way a lot of us are living our lives. I mean, we kind of highlighted where we're both from before, and I know we both have very different experiences within our own communities in terms of what the pandemic means, but but there's no one on this planet that, that has not been affected by a global pandemic. So how do we take that into account in terms of forging forward and creating human connection and relationship? You know, so I'm going to start with the easy answer, and then I'm going to have people alter it to what works for them. So in this global pandemic, there's so much social distancing, right? And there's like a lot of sheltering in place and people aren't um, as connected as they used to be, at least not physically. So it's important to remember that we are not emotionally distancing and the ways that we can forge this type of human connection. Unfortunately, fortunately or unfortunately, what we do have is this technology where we can begin to just talk to each other through a screen. So I think it's very important to now be very intentional with our relationships. Like Have I called the people that I care about? Have I scheduled FaceTime dates with them? Um, If that just seems kind of too overwhelming, right? Like if you have a a job where you're staring at a screen all day, I validate that the last thing you're gonna wanna do is hop on a FaceTime call with with friends. Um, So so that's completely normal. So it's okay to do with what's in your bandwidth. If it's just, I'm gonna send you a text or I'm gonna send you a meme, Um, but just making sure that 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 hello is there, that how are you, this is how I'm doing. So it doesn't have to be a full-on three-hour family gathering during Zoom, if, that, if that's just not in your capacity, because you're allowed to be burnt out too. Um, but just making sure that you're, you're saying hi every once in a while. And sometimes that's enough. Okay, okay. So, you know, making sure that we are checking in with each other and whether it is a text, a meme, a phone call, a Zoom, Mm -hmm. whatever's working for us. And again, knowing who our safe people are, the people that we want to be investing in these relationships. So I think there's a couple of points that almost build there is, you know, going through noticing if we perhaps have patterns around not feeling entirely safe around people and, and doing the work that we need to do in that regards, noticing who our safe people are, prioritizing those relationships and investing in those relationships, getting maybe feedback from those people. If perhaps we are, you know, pushing different relationships away due to certain behavioral patterns and then maintaining those relationships, putting in the time, the effort that, that goes with creating and, and maintaining relationship. Mm With, with that, you know, because relationship does take a little bit of work. And if it's an area that, you know, feels, feels tiring at the end of a busy work day in life generally, and we might be more tired in, in this period. And how, how do we kind of support ourselves in maintaining those relationships? I guess, generally, is it reminding ourselves or just doing, doing what we can? So th- this is um, kind of like a different way to go about it, but we can't when we can't pour from an empty cup. So if we find ourselves thinking like, oh, I don't have the energy to talk to these people, or I don't have the energy to get on another call, that's okay. And that's completely valid. So then you want to cultivate a relationship with yourself, right? What do I need? How can I pour back into myself? Do I need to sit here and write for a little bit? Do I need to just turn off my electronics and watch TV? Do I need to go for a solo hike? But what do I need so that 
you know, I have the space to connect with other people. Because sometimes when we don't have the energy to connect with other people, there's also, there might be an internal disconnect happening within ourselves as well. So we want to fill our own cup first. This is a really interesting point. So actually doing the things we need to do to self-care and to, you know, take care of our needs. It's sure we have relationship needs. And as you highlighted, if we sort of pull back from relationships, even if it feels, feels safe and good for us, it actually does lead to increased anxiety, depression, loneliness, you know, and that comes with a host of ill health um, risk factors, but there's other elements of self-care, you know, checking in with ourselves, going outside, being in nature, maybe journaling, reflecting, sort of taking care of perhaps our spiritual side, things like that as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's a, it's a big picture, isn't it? This idea really of <laughs> human connection <laughs> and relationship is huge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What, where could listeners kind of, I guess, you know, maybe just a couple of practices, you know, we've mentioned journaling, you know, checking in with safe people, kind of making those lists. Is there anything else that listeners might be doing if they're kind of, you know, I, I, reflecting on the fact that relationships are tough or that's an area they're struggling right now? Yeah. So I I want to address the people who may be listening to this and are thinking, gosh, I don't know if I have any safe relationships. I don't know if I have any safe people in my life that I could practice this with or do this with. I do want people to know that that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. And there's also no shame in having your first relationship be with a therapist, a coach, or a helping professional, because it's oftentimes those professional relationships that teach us and model for us what safety looks like. So I just want to let those people know that, you know, they can start there if they need to. I mean, there's no shame in that. Um, And then for just in general, how people can really cultivate this, you know, aside from journaling and reaching out, but they, they can maybe start by identifying what does human connection mean for me? What is this? And they can start to identify, you know, what are 10 signs of a safe relationship for me? They can do some reflecting, you know, when was the last time I felt safe in a relationship or friendship, a partnership? What qualities did that partnership or relationship have? You know, um, when, when we can start to clearly define what that means for us, we can start to then um, cultivate those relationships outwardly. That's beautiful. Those are some really wonderful reflection points. And for listeners, if you're driving or walking or washing the dishes, I'll, um, I'll note those down specifically as journaling points and put them in the show notes so people can grab them and do the reflection. So Eliza, earlier you talked about these different sides of ourselves and the fact that, you know, there's all these different parts of us and that they're all valid and important. And you actually are doing a workshop on, you know, our inner child, a webinar that's coming up. So something that listeners might be able to access as a resource to support them connecting in with this, you know, really vulnerable side, often vulnerable side of oneself. Would you mind just sharing a little bit about this upcoming webinar and kind of what the inner child is so listeners can go, okay, that's something that might help my growth and my development. Oh, yeah. So I'm going to be um, doing this class on Um, connecting with your inner child. And, you know, as human beings, we all have an inner child that lives within us. And these are the younger parts of ourselves that hold the memories of our childhood and our experiences and our inner child, the experiences that our inner child have gone through 
really do shape the way we view the world and the, the way we experience these human connections. So uh, the purpose of the class is to really help you understand who your inner child is, um, teach you ways to connect with your inner child. And there's also strategies for reparenting your inner child as well. So if anybody's interested in just connecting with that younger version of themselves and learning how to find that joy, um, you know, the class might be a good opportunity for you. I like that you mentioned self-care and joy as well, that, you know, these parts of ourselves that might have been wounded and experienced difficulty, which we all have in differing forms, that this is also a part of us that can experience immense joy as well. Absolutely. And where can listeners connect with you generally? You know, what are the what are the best places to reach out and to follow along with the work that you're doing? Um, I am most active on my Instagram, which, um, you know, we mentioned Alyssa Marie Wellness. So people can definitely connect there to just get more content on human connection and all things mental health. Beautiful. Well, thank you, Alyssa, so much for taking the time to have a conversation today and to talk us through human connection, you know, virtually as we connect ourselves and as listeners, you know, putting in these earbuds are tuning in and connecting with the wisdom that you're sharing here. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. And I I really hope, um, you know, people were, were, are able to benefit from this. It's a really great topic. I hope that you found that conversation with Alyssa as informative as I did. I think it's really important to reflect on how we go about cultivating safe relationships when we might have experiences in the past that interrupt our sense of safety and connection in different relationships we experience in our life. And knowing that they are so important and so healing, it's helpful to have a framework for how we might first cultivate self-care practices to give ourselves the energy to then reach out and connect, particularly in these unusual times. So again, check out Alyssa on Instagram, Alyssa Marie Wellness, on Facebook under the same name, as well as her websites, alyssamariewellness.com. The master link, if you are interested in joining her inner child um, workshop, is going to be included in the show notes. So you can just head on to drcaitlin.com, click through to the show notes, and grab everything you need there. Thank you so much for joining us today, and I will look forward to connecting with you again in a fortnight. All right, bye for now. Thanks for joining us this week on the Wisdom for Wellbeing podcast. Please visit drcaitlin.com to connect find show notes, other episodes, and to subscribe. While you're at it, if you find value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating or perhaps simply tell a friend about the show. Wisdom for Wellbeing is not a substitute for professional, individualized mental health treatment. If you are in crisis, please contact 000, your local emergency number if you are outside of Australia, or attend your local hospital ED.